great. Welcome to Leaders That Last. Uh, we're going to have a great, great, great couple of days. I bring greetings to you. Uh, I actually spent almost all of my life in uh, Zimbabwe. And then uh, two years ago, God called us to the wonderful city of Nairobi, the capital of Kenya. And so that's where I am bringing you greetings from. And um, we are one tribe church in Nairobi, the church we're a part of. We're actually a church planted by you. And uh, so many of you have been such a massive part of the journey that I would be remiss if I didn't, first of all, say thank you to you and update you on some of the stuff that's happened there and uh, just a beg shamelessly for more of your prayers. And uh, God's been really, really good to us. Your prayers have carried us. Your prophetic words have put courage inside of us. Your faith has inspired us. And uh, your generous giving has blessed us so, so much. And so uh, you planted a church uh, that's launched public Sunday meetings uh, 16 months ago, uh, January, January 2017. And uh, since then, we've just, uh, just known God's blessing in so many ways. And uh, we want you to ask if you'd please keep on praying for us. Could you pray, first of all, that God would bring the nations into one tribe church we uh, did a count a few days ago, and we reckon that on a Sunday, we probably have about 20 different nations represented in the church. And uh, we're praying for more because we feel that uh, God's called us to reach the nations like we heard during worship. And um, please pray also for uh, one tribe children. Uh, we have many, many precious children with us on a Sunday morning. It's glorious mayhem. I think we had about 60 this last Sunday. We're like, God, we need more kids workers. And uh, God's really called us to, uh, to, to be in faith for what he's going to do through this generation that is rising up. Please also pray for our One Tribe students. Uh, next month, we have our first ever students camp. We've got about 40 or so signed up for that. And we're trusting God to touch these young men and women. And excitingly, some of these deaf um, some of these students are actually part of the deaf community. Let me tell you why that's exciting. That's exciting because some people reckon that the, the deaf community is one of the largest unreached people groups in the world. Globally, only 2% of the deaf community are followers of Christ. And since about September, uh, the uh, people from the deaf community, students, have started coming along to our Sunday meetings. And uh, it's a bit embarrassing to say it took us a few months to figure out that we don't think any of them are saved. Or there's just like one out of the group of 12. And over recent weeks, um, salvation started to break out in this group of the deaf. I've only got time to tell you one quick story, then we're going to get into scripture. Is that okay? Uh, every few months, we have a, uh, an event we call Thirst, which is a morning where we uh, uh, pray for and experience the power of the Holy Spirit every few months. And we had one a couple of Saturdays back. And one of the ladies in that group, she got up early and she went on a run. And she was going to be at Thirst. She's one of our leaders. And uh, uh, as she was on the run, she felt God drop a verse into her heart. The verse that says that if you confess with your heart and so, uh, believe with your heart, confess with your mouth, then uh, that Jesus is Lord then you will be saved. And she thought, well, you know, maybe there are people who've been coming along to one tribe for a while who will cross the line of faith today. And so she goes along, and in her discussion group in our first event, uh, there's this deaf lady there, 
and they're having question and answer. And this uh, deaf lady, she, she, she asks, her question is this, does God speak through dreams? And the reason she's asking is because she's been having a certain dream where she's talking to God and she's saying to God, God, maybe one day in the future, I'll follow you. And you can imagine the excitement levels rising in this group as they say to her, yes, God does speak through dreams. And if you believe with your heart and in her case, expressed through sign language that Jesus is Lord, then you can be saved. And before that day was over, she had signed that she was ready to become a follower of Jesus. And uh, God, God is at work. God is going before us. We're, we're encouraged in so many ways. We're encouraged, but we're also sobered. We're, we're sobered by verses like this one in 1 Kings, which is, uh, some of you have read it before, but it's an example, one of the best examples of smack talk in the Bible. Enemy, enemy army is talking to the king of Israel, trash talking him. King of Israel answers back to him, tell him, one who puts on his armor should not boast like one who takes it off. What he's saying is, look, buddy, there's actually a lot that happens in between putting your armor on and taking your armor off. So whilst being encouraged in Nairobi, we're so aware that as a church, we're just putting our armor on. We're so aware as a movement of churches, there's so much happening, but in a very real sense, even as a movement advanced, we're, we're just putting our armor on. And tonight, what we want to talk about is the story that you and I want to tell when the day comes that we're taking our armor off. Will we be leaders that last, Christians that last, churches that last? And we need God's help to do that. I'm, I'm just so delighted that the the, the, the team putting together this conference came up with this important theme, leaders that last. So I'm going to pray for us. We're going to get into scripture. God, we want to thank you for the wonderful time of worship. Thank you for blessing us with your presence. Thank you for speaking to us already, these powerful prophetic words about the purity of your gospel. Thank you that we can open up your gospel tonight. Thank you for the clarity of your mission that you've called us to the ends of the earth, to witness for you. And God, thank you that even as we open our Bibles tonight, we do that from a position of victory. And God, through my weakness, through our weakness, would you be so strong tonight? Would you reveal yourself to us? God, I ask that we would see you tonight. And God, as we see you clearly, I ask that you would help us to love you more dearly. And out of that, God, to be believers who follow you more nearly today and every other day. And if you agree with that, would you say, Amen. That is fantastic. Now, uh, our encouragement to become leaders that go the distance, leaders that last, our encouragement that we're focusing on tonight is found in the book of Revelation. And uh, we've just been praying that Jesus would speak to, speak to us as individuals and us as churches. And in Revelation 2 and 3, Jesus is speaking to churches, churches like my church, churches like your church, churches that are under attack from without and from within. And as Jesus is speaking to these churches, one refrain is repeated again and again and again. Do you know what it is? Check it out in Revelation 2 and 3. 2.7, Jesus says, to him who overcomes, 
I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. 2.17, to him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give him a white stone with the new name written on it, known only to him who receives it. 2.26, to him who overcomes and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. Probably my favorite, 3.21, to him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. I've only got two things basically to say tonight. Two things that we've got to keep our eyes fixed on if we're going to be leaders that last. And there'll be others that you'll hear about those through the course of uh, this, this time together, this conference. But the two things that I feel God wants to impress on our hearts tonight is that we've got to be leaders. We've got to be churches that fix our eyes on the victor, and that fix our eyes on the crown. Fix our eyes on Jesus, and fix our eyes on the prize. Let's check it out. We can start off uh, in Hebrews chapter 11. You can turn there if you are quick. Fix our eyes on Jesus. That's a Hebrews 12 phrase. Hebrews 11 is one of those magnificent chapters in the Bible. It's just described men and women who, 1133, who through faith conquered kingdoms. They administered justice and gained what was promised. Who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword. Whose weakness was turned into strength and who became powerful in battle, routed foreign armies, Women received their dead back to life. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith. These were leaders that lasted. Leaders who overcame. And John the Revelator surely would have counted himself as he's standing there and listening to Jesus and talking about these churches John the Baptist would have been aware of this cloud of witnesses around him and aware that he was soon going to be joining this cloud of witnesses. Hebrews 12.1 says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. How do we do that? How do we persevere in this race marked out for us? Friends, tonight, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him 
endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. In our story in Revelation, John is listening to Jesus. And as he's listening to Jesus, he's in the presence of the risen and resurrected and ruling and reigning King above all kings. And as he's gazing upon Jesus, John is aware that as Jesus is saying to you and I, to him who overcomes, John is aware that he is standing in the presence of the ultimate overcomer. Jesus is the ultimate overcomer and he's calling you and I to overcome too. Implied in that is three things. I mean, Jesus says to him who overcomes. The first implication is this, and you may have picked this up if you've been in leadership for any amount of time. There is much to overcome. Have you figured that out yet? Better figure it out soon if you haven't. There is much to overcome. The second implication is this. When Jesus says to him who overcomes, the second implication is not all of us will overcome. To him who overcomes. There's much to overcome, brothers and sisters. Not all overcome. But the third implication is this. You and I must overcome. And that's what we want to find out tonight. And Don is gazing. He's gazing at the consummate overcomer in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ had appeared to John and he was gazing upon John. He was beholding John. And I pray tonight that God would allow us through his word to behold what John beheld. John Piper is great. He says that, that, a, that a voice said to John, John, write down what you see. And John Piper says, you know, that's difficult. It's easy to write down what you hear. But to write down what you see is it's a whole new level. And he says that, you know, you know, it's it's John got the vision, we get the book. And the reason we read the book is to get the vision that John saw. And John, the Bible says, heard a voice. And then the Bible says that he turned. And then in Revelation chapter 1, he sees Jesus. I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned... I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man. And this passage has been well studied because it's been well studied. We are well served tonight by what we're looking at. We see Jesus like a son of man walking amongst the seven lampstands. The seven lampstands represent the churches, the seven churches. And in this vision, Jesus, who sometimes we see him high and lifted up, he is walking among the churches. So many great commentators on this, Andrew Wilson and, and Phil Moore and John Piper, such a wealth of richness. 
And John Piper says that the Jesus in this passage, he's not far away and distant, but he's walking amongst the lampstands, trimming their wicks, carving their wax, breathing life over smoldering flames. Friends, tonight Jesus isn't far away and distant. He's here and walking among the churches. He's numbered the hairs on your head. He's, the Bible says in Isaiah 42, it says that a bruised reed he won't break. A smoldering wick won't snuff out. If some of you are bruised tonight, Jesus is here. If some of you feel like you're your churches or your life groups or your life itself, your faith are like smoldering wicks. The Bible says that he won't snuff it out. But he's here and he is speaking to you and I through his word. One like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. The commentators say here that this robe down to the feet can only speak of one thing. The robe was, that, was, that was worn by the priests in the day of Israel, by the high priest in the days of Israel. Not just that, but this golden sash. You'd expect a sash around the waist. But this one's different. It's a golden sash around his chest because this is a different kind of priest. Because Jesus is our true and greater high priest who didn't just offer sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice for you and me. But this is the one priest who became the sacrifice. He became the lamb that was slain before the foundations of the world. Not just that, but he was raised back to life. And now this priest, the Bible says, lives to make intercession for you and I. This is our great high priest. This is Jesus. This is the overcoming one. It gets, it gets better. It just gets better and better. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow. You know, white hair is a sign of wisdom where I come from. And this is, when you talk about white as well, we're talking about the wisdom that only really one who's not just old, but who's the ancient of days can bring into our situations. How many of you need some wisdom tonight for situations that you're facing, for things that are so, that are so entangled that you can't unravel them, for things you've been butting your head against for weeks, months, and years, for things that your culture hasn't been able to figure out and sort out? We have eternal wisdom available to us tonight through the person of Jesus Christ. His eyes, his eyes are like blazing fire. You can tell a lot about someone by looking in their eyes. And Jesus' eyes of fire see with crystal clarity into the depths of our hearts. Oh, nothing is hidden from the view of our Savior. His feet, this is pretty cool. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. These are cool feet. I, I, I wear Converse tackies, that's pretty cool, but this is trending right here. Like bronze glowing 
in a furnace. Andrew Wilson's great on this. He says about this, he says, he actually tweeted it. And he, he tweeted, uh, isn't it great that in days like ours, when rulers have feet of clay, isn't it a joy to worship one whose feet are of burnished bronze, fixed, firm, flame-tested forever? This is our champion. This is our overcoming one. This is the one that you and I are called to follow and give our lives to. We can fix our eyes on Jesus. How do you become an overcomer? Just fix your eyes on the ultimate overcomer. Fix our eyes on Jesus. I've through ups and downs in my life, just like you have. And there's a song, one of those songs that carries you through seasons. The song goes like this, sweet Jesus Christ, my clarity. Sweet Jesus Christ, my sanity. I don't know when you've ever, if you've ever been through times when the only thing keeping you sane is Jesus Christ. I don't know if you walk into confusing situations, you just think to yourself, stop, I just got to find Jesus right now. Jesus, what were you like? Jesus, what, what did you do? Jesus, what have you said to me? Clarity and sanity flows to us from this overcoming one. Fix our eyes on Jesus. The second thing I want to talk about tonight is let's fix our eyes on the prize. The Bible teaches that every one of us has what, has what one Bible commentator, Fillmore, called a Simon Cowell moment coming. Most of you have watched X Factor or watched the American Idols, and what happens is uh, they have, especially earlier on, they, have, you know, they, they show you the auditions where just everyone can come. And what happens is that you... You listen to some people singing. Have you ever watched these things? And, and you stop and you think, I'm not sure whether this person came as a joke or they realize that they are a joke. And you, you're kind of like, are, are they deliberately making this bad? And sometimes it's, it's like, and you can see the judges there wincing and thinking, oh man, this is bad. And you can see that some people have been told, probably by either their mother or their grandmother, that they're the next Michael Jackson And the thing is, the thing about Simon Cowell is he always tells the truth. The whole truth. And nothing but the truth. And the other judges there, and it's nice to know what they think. But we all know that when you're watching Idols, everyone really just wants to know what Simon Cowell thinks. So the lesser judges, they kind of give their opinions. But when Simon Cowell speaks, it comes with a direct truthfulness. It comes with a finality that's actually unparalleled probably in the showbiz world. Simon Cowell, he's been known to say things like this. He's been known to say, I've sat through many bad performances before, but I, I can honestly say that that is one of the worst. <laughs> so this person's dreams come through. He's known to say things like, things like, if you had sung like this 2,000 years ago, they would have stoned you. <laughs> True stories, 
probably my favorite. He says, do you take singing lessons? Do you have a lawyer? Get a lawyer and sue your singing teacher. (laughs) Now, there's a lot that is negative about Simon Cowell's assessments. But particularly the Apostle Paul lived with a realization deep down inside him that one day, a true and final and ultimate assessment of his life and ministry was coming for him and was coming for every believer. And that helped him to become the kind of leader that lost, the kind of leader that overcame. Let's get his advice in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10, the Apostle Paul says this, By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder. It's interesting, isn't it? Paul says, hey, I'm an expert. I'm an expert builder. And you think, man, isn't that a little bit proud when you're kind of like a self-proclaimed expert? But it's wonderfully balanced by him saying, this is actually by the grace that was given to me. As I was paging through commentaries trying to get some truth that would surface well tonight, probably the last commentary I always look at, I won't tell you which one it is because then you'll think bad things about it and it's not good to think bad things about it, but the last commentary, the one that I usually think, this one probably won't have much. The commentator said this, he said, you know, when it comes to our gifts, To be proud of the gifts that we have. He says spiritual pride is abominable. It's using the greatest favors of God to feed our own vanity and make idols of ourselves. So if I'm like, I'm a great musician. Hey, I'm a great musician and you're not. We're taking one of God's gifts into our life and using it for the worship of ourselves. God, deliver us from spiritual pride. God, deliver me from spiritual pride. God, deliver our churches from spiritual pride. As a movement, God, keep spiritual pride far from us. Oh God, lest you withhold the gifts that you so graciously give. I laid a foundation as an expert builder and someone else is building on it. But each one should be careful how he builds. How you and I build determines the reward that we get. The reward that we get is not determined by giftedness, but by faithfulness. Some increase is expected with what God gives us, but the quantity of increase doesn't determine the amount of reward. Verse 11, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Question. Hopefully we're going to end the evening with 
worship after this message, a song or two, as you're worshiping, ask yourself this. Is the foundation for my ministry Jesus plus nothing? Is the foundation for your life Jesus plus nothing? If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay or straw, his work will be shown for what it is. Because the day will bring it to light. I found that so intriguing as I was studying these scriptures. His work will be shown for what it is. What does that mean? It means that what you and I do, the work that we do, the ministry that we do, it might look good when it's not actually good. But our work will be shown for what it really is. The ministry that we do, it might look bad when it's not actually bad. But our work will be shown for what it is. Because the day will bring it to light. Martin Luther said that he lived with only two days on his calendar. Today and that day. It will be revealed with fire. And the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burnt up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. Paul says, Simon Cowell moment coming. All of us will have our lives revealed for what they are. Out of this moment, it's not divided into saved and not saved. It's divided into believers who experience loss and believers who experience reward. You don't want to go the loss route. The loss, the Bible says, is like a guy, it's like a house on fire and a guy runs out escaping with only his life. But man, what a loss. Either loss or the Bible says eternal reward. What is that reward? Well, People, it's all kinds of things. It's, 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 it's the awareness that we've, we've, we've done what God made us to do and called us to do. There's Bible teaching about us having, having the privilege of ruling and reigning with Jesus forever over cities. But perhaps what motivates me the most is one day hearing Jesus, the ultimate overcomer, say to you, And say to me, well done, good and faithful servant. Friends, in that moment, everything is going to be turned around. So Michael Eaton says that the well done of Jesus over your life will resound throughout the universe. Your critics will hear it. 
your friends will hear it. The angels will hear it. Jesus said, well done, good and faithful servant. That moment, my friends, will make it all worth it. Misunderstandings will be undone. Lies and untruths will be undone. Secret obediences and secret disobedience will be brought to light on that glorious day. Oh, my friends, that will be the day of the righting of every single wrong. And Jesus gives his ultimate and final assessment of you and I. Later in the same letter, Paul describes our reward using the picture of the athlete's prize. Turn there, we've got to speed up so that we have time to pray at the end. 1 Corinthians 9 verse 24. Do you know that in the race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Listen team, listen Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. In those days, if you were going to compete in the Olympics in 2017 or 2019, then in 2018, you had to swear by Zeus to go into at least 10 months of strict training. Muhammad Ali, the great theologian, said, The fight is won or lost far away from the witnesses. Behind the lines, in the gym, and out there on the road, long before I dance under those lights. The Apostle Paul brought an RE-like intensity to his training for the prize. He said, listen, I don't, I don't fight like a man beating the air. That looks pretty impressive. You're training for the boxing at the Olympics and you can, you know, float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. But the, the real boxers in those days would have said to you, listen, you don't train by shadow boxing. Because you don't get gold medals for shadow boxing. If you're in training, you've got to be willing to take some hits. You've got to know how to take some punches if you're going to be a leader that lasts. Because this is not a dress rehearsal. This is the real thing. Next slide, 1 Corinthians 9. I don't fight like a man in the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave. So that after I've preached to others... I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Paul wrote this letter in Corinth, and Corinth was world famous for its Isthmian Games. That was an, an athletic competition, second in prestige only to the Olympics. I love this picture of the athlete training for the Olympics because Kenya, the country that I now call home, dominates the athletic long-distance scene. Pick any long-distance race, you'll often find that about 70 or 80% of its winners since the late 1980s when East African nutrition and technology started to catch up with the West, 
70 or 80% of long-distance winners have been from Kenya. Of the top 25 male record holders for the 3,000-meter steeplechase, 18 are Kenyan. Seven of the last eight London marathons were won by Kenyans. So what we've got is we've got, we've got the biblical world of the Isthmian Games in Corinth intersecting with our modern world and the Olympic Games and, 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 and the, the, the height of athletic prowess and training and running for the prize. And these intersect with your story and my story in a two-minute video clip I'd like us to look. It's uh, a clip of the 800 meters. Here we go. Radisha beaten only once in more than two years by this man, Mohamed Amal from Ethiopia, just 18 years of age. Two Kenyans in the field, the USA also with two runners. A race packed with young talent. Radisha in lane four likes to run from the front, and that's what happened. His target to complete the first lap in 50 seconds, and he was on schedule. Twice this summer he'd gone close to toppling his record, and this time he was to beat it. Radisha was inspired to take up athletics after his father showed him the Olympic medal he won in 1968. Daniel Radisha was part of the Kenyan team that won silver in the relay in Mexico. No room for family sentiment from the opposition in an Olympic final. It was clear from a long way out that the rest of the field were fighting for silver and bronze. This race was so fast that all eight finalists set personal best or seasonal best times. Radisha was to beat the world record the greatest 800 meters performance in history on the biggest stage of all. Nigel Amos of Botswana won the battle for second place with another Kenyan runner, Timothy Kitter, third. This was Botswana's first medal at any Olympic Games. But the glory belonged to David Rudisha with a fantastic display of middle distance running on a big start in London 2012. We have, uh, we've had some amazing Kenyan runners passed through our church and uh, one or two of our leaders have trained with these world-class Kenyan runners. Band, you can come on up. And uh, I, I, I called one of them up and, and said, just tell me about the training you've been through and what happened. And as we were talking, this, this, this race was one of the things that they shared about. And this was one of the greatest races of all time, that London 2012 800-meter Olympic race. And uh, it was won, as you saw, by this guy, David Rudisha, from, from Kenya. But there was something remarkable, something remarkable about, about this race. He, won, he set a new world record. He was the first person in the world ever to run the 800 meters in under 101 seconds. But here's what's absolutely remarkable about the race. Those are the f- people who finished in the order that they finished. Guy, guy number seven, he's got SB next to his name. SB stands for season's best. The guy who came in seventh run his best time of the season. Pretty good. Every other runner in the race ran not just their best time of the season. They ran the best time of their lives. Every single one of them. Bar one. Not just that. But you can see 
NR, NR, number six, NR. David Rudisha, first person to run the 800 meters in under 101 seconds. Every person bar one ran the best time of the, their lives in that race. In that race, three national records were broken. The guy from Ethiopia ran faster than any other Ethiopian had ever run over 800 meters. The guy from Botswana ran faster than any other Botswana had ever run over the 800 meters. And David Rudisha ran faster than any Kenyan had ever run over the 800 meters. What am I trying to get you to see here? I'm trying to get you to see that with David Rudisha, it's like everyone in the race became a record breaker by running with this great record breaker. David Rudisha, he reminds me of, of another David. He's, he's the David who, who took out Goliath with a sling and a stone. And the Bible says there was a spiritual dynamic that happened because when, when they saw that Goliath had been taken down, the Bible says that the Israelite army who'd been cowering in fear surged forward and giant slayers arose from their ranks. But David Rudisha and David of Israel, don't they remind you of the true and greater David? And as we fix our eyes on him, as we run this race with him, the ultimate overcomer, we catch the spirit of the overcomer. And as we do that, we release those around us to run like never before. What am I saying? I'm saying that God wants to release a new freedom amongst us tonight to run like never before. And how do we do that? We do that by focusing on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Would you stand with me and let's just expect God to speak to us. Let's expect God to touch us tonight. Let's expect God to heal us tonight. Let's expect God to put fresh wind into our sails. Let's trust that we're going to break some records in the spirit tonight. Not because you're great, not because I'm great, but because Jesus is great. And as we run with him, his spirit falls on us. We're following the ultimate overcomer tonight. Just let these words sink into your heart. It's just pure scripture I'm going to read over us before we go into this worship song. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who didn't spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how won't he also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? <laughs> It's Jesus. It's Jesus who's for us. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus who died more than that who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? 
church shall trouble or hardship or nakedness or danger or sword. It's written for your sake. We face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors. We are more than overcomers through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Church, churches, leaders, you've got this because Christ has got you. You are overcomers because we run with the great overcomer. As we fix our eyes on him, we'll see he's holding the prize for you and I. The prize he died for so that you and I could win. Let's worship now. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus. Let's fix our eyes on the prize. Let's fix our eyes on the victor. Our eyes on the crown.